Hopefully uh, inside your service sheets is an outline of uh, where we'll be heading as we look at uh, Psalm 46 together and it's worth uh, turning back to that if uh, you've closed it. Psalm 46 on page 570 and the outline will hopefully give you a bit of a guide of uh, where we're heading as we look at that together. His name is Jim Riches. Uh, He's a firefighter from New York And on that morning, ten years ago, he was going about his uh, usual morning run when he had the morning off uh, along the shoreline near where he lived. And as he was running, he uh, said he heard a sound unlike he'd ever heard before. And he turned and he saw the second plane hit the towers of the World Trade Centre. He turned back immediately and he headed as quickly as he could towards the city. His son, also a firefighter, was working that day and his station was just beside the towers. And so Jim was desperate to be there with his son. But as he was making his way across the Brooklyn Bridge, very close now to the city, he saw the second tower fall. And he knew almost certainly that his son was in there. As he'd said, his station was just around the corner. His son would have been one of the first on the scene as the planes hit. And so as Jim arrived at Ground Zero, he was told what he had suspected, that his son, uh, Jim Jr., had been high up in the North Tower, along with most of his company. And so Jim Richards began uh, that morning his search for his son. He came every day and stayed till evening for six months until March 25th, when amongst the rubble he and his other sons found his son's destroyed body. It is just one of thousands of stories of that horrific day, one moment that unravelled so many lives, one moment ten years ago today, a moment that perhaps the poet William Butler Yeats sums up best when he says, things fall apart. Things fall apart. Is there a more apt description of life sometimes in this world? Things fall apart. In the sphere of uh, the nations, things fall apart. We saw that on September 11, uh, perhaps more clearly in the West than we ever had before. Uh, we saw it here in uh, this country in, uh, earlier in the year with the riots. We saw how quickly humanity can unravel and at great cost. Uh, we see it sometimes in our own families or the families of those around us. Things fall apart. And we see it also in the sphere of uh, this earth, this creation. That horrible moment of the tsunami in Asia as one minute people are relaxing on a beach and then next a wave unlike they'd ever seen before swept across whole nations and people groups and towns and homes and destroyed almost everything in its wake. We saw it on a much smaller scale a few years ago again in this city as the floods swept through the lower parts of the cities and homes were destroyed. And again we see it in the personal sphere as well in creation. Uh, Two of my closest friends in the world are two people uh, uh, telling me the the joyful news of uh, their expecting twins after much, uh, much prayer and much waiting for God to provide this gift. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, losing both twins at 22 weeks. Things fall apart. I've watched uh, their experience of uh, my dear friends from a distance, uh, too far a distance. I've seen their lives are battered by the disorder that is so often in this world, smashing against their home. 
as I looked on, it all seems very haphazard. It's sort of like uh, life can feel like riding in one of those dodgem cars at a fair and you're just getting into the seat, just getting used to the car and bang. That's what our world can feel like. Battered and not sure why or what's next. Ours is a world where things fall apart. And yes, in the grander scheme, uh, those of us who know our Bibles know ultimately we're all to blame. That there's nothing uh, haphazard about it, that things uh, have not always been this way. That as we brought disorder to our relationship with God, all other order collapsed with it. It's the story of our world. And it is the story of the song before us uh, tonight, this next psalm that we're looking at together, Psalm 46. It's a song that captures a, a, a horrible moment for God's people uh, in God's city, Jerusalem. A song that uh, captures the moment when they were surrounded, this little city surrounded by the might of the Assyrian army under Sennacherib. The Syrians uh, were all around them on the, on the hills around, uh, shouting, roaring, threatening. They'd swept uh, every city before them. And now this uh, little city of Jerusalem, they mocked it, this puny city. Surely it couldn't stand against the might of Sennacherib and his army. And so here is a song penned from that place, a place of weakness and fear. And for the people in the tiny house of Jerusalem with violence roaring all around them, it was a song that was penned to stir their hearts, even in that moment, stir their hearts to courageous, fearless faith. To know their God again, even at that moment. To know enough of him to trust him completely, even then. Even as all that they had come to rely on was collapsing around them. Even as they were besieged in their own city, God's city. To know that God was with them and that was enough. And I want to say tonight that while this song was written so long ago for that moment, it is a song for our moment as well. Our moment as God's people here tonight, again, a song designed to stir your heart to fearless faith. We who have come to know that God is indeed with us in a definitive way. We who know who he is, that he is our Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. Who have seen our God enter this battered world, enter it on our cross. Who have seen him then rise and conquer death. We still need this song. This is still the song that we need to hear on the other side of the cross, some 2,000 years after that decisive victory over death. Yes, Jesus has come. Yes, he has won. But for now at least, until he returns again as he has promised to do, the victory has not yet fully come, has it? In these last days before that day, uh, we still live in a world that groans with disorder. Ours is a world still of tsunamis, a world where babies die just as life begins. Ours is a world where the nations still roar in violence, as we remember ten years ago today. And so in days like ours, it would be easy to think, wouldn't it, that Jesus has left us alone in the mess. Easy to think in days like this, wondering if indeed he is with us still. And if he is, uh, if he really is with us, is he powerless, just like us, to hold back the disorder that bashes against our world? In days like this, God gives us this old song. He gives it to us that we might have this fearless faith 
a faith that comes from knowing a God like ours. And so let's look at this song together. It's a simple song. It has three verses, three parts, and they all say one thing, God is with us. Now here's the first part, verses 1 to 3. God is with us in the disorder of creation. Now remember the original context of this psalm. Imagine that scene in Jerusalem as Sennacherib, the leader of the Assyrians, laid siege on their city. This huge army raging like some huge sea around them, shouting violence and mockery. Well, over the top of all of that, this song is sung. God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. A song that says, see him. He is your refuge, your one safe place. Whatever waves batter your house, whatever comes through these gates, he is your defence. See him, he is your strength, strong enough to repel whatever waves hit you. See your God, he is your refuge and strength. There's great comfort in that, isn't there? I was thinking about that this week, that moment as they heard this song, as that that was sung into their fear of that moment. There's a big question, isn't there? I remembered back when when I was in year five, there was a a moment where I was walking home one day. Both my parents were working, so I was walking home alone. It was only a sort of a a three-minute walk from from school to where I lived and uh, uh, as I'm starting to walk along the street that we lived in, uh, still a fair way away from home, I started to see this car on the other side of the road that was sort of following at the same speed that I was walking and ignored it at first and then as I got closer and closer to home, still too far away to, to run, I realised that he was following me. And I looked around and he looked at me and then he tried to avoid eye contact. And I thought I'll turn in a different direction to see if he still follows me and he followed me further. And then eventually I started to panic and uh, remembered that uh, one of the things that we had in Sydney at the time, I'm not sure if you have this in the UK, was a thing called the safety house system where they put this sign on on certain letterboxes of houses which said, this is a house to go if you feel unsafe. And I thought, I need to go there right now. I have no idea what this guy is doing, but I'm not safe. And so I ran with all my might into this house, knocking frantically on the door, seeing this car turn the same corner as I did, waiting just outside. And here is a safety house, but no one is home. And so I started to weigh up my options. I could see my home a few hundred yards up the hill. I would have had to make a sprint and there's this guy's car. And eventually I did make the sprint and made it home, but it's still a moment that lives with me. Here was the, the place of promise, of safety. Here was the place that I just needed to get there and everything would be okay. But it was a hollow promise. I imagine those trapped in Jerusalem as this siege went on, as they heard the news that God was their refuge and strength, perhaps they felt their refuge and strength was out of reach or not enough. Especially in the disorder described in verses 2 and 3, this creation groaning all around them. You ever felt that way, that this promise that God is your refuge and strength, that's just not enough? What good is it to have a God who is a refuge and strength to us here and now? You need to see what the psalmist says next. Where is this God who is our refuge and strength in the storm? Where is he? He is with us. We don't need to run to him. He is not far off. He is right there with us. Emmanuel. 
And this here is the heart of the Christian gospel. This is the wonderful truth that blows every other religion out of the water, that our God is with us. He's not distant and unknowable. He's not detached and unaware of what we're going through. He is with us in the brokenness. He is a God who in the midst of the storm sets up his tent right there with us. And so the psalmist shouts above the storm, See your refuge and strength. He is here with you in the storm. And once you see who your God is and where he is, though things do fall apart, things that matter, things that we love, though it all may fall apart, the psalmist sings, We will not fear. Now let me ask you, as you see that line in our song, can you sing it with him? Is God indeed your refuge and strength? Is that enough for you? Enough perhaps for what has hit you in the past that still bruises. Enough for perhaps what is hitting you right now. Or what is yet to come. Is he enough? This song says in the midst of all that we may go through, God is indeed enough. He is your strength and refuge. And that is no hollow tune. You see, your God who is with you is the one who from the very beginning, by his voice, transformed the chaos, we're told in Genesis 1 of the deep, the chaos of the sea that we see in verses 2 and 3, calmed it into his spectacularly good creation. Your God is the one who parted the surging waves of the Red Sea to save a people for himself. Your God is in supreme even over all creation for he is the creator. And it is God with us, Jesus, who shows us this decisively, who is your reason to trust. Our God is the one who stood in the midst of that storm in the leaky boat in Mark 4 and shouts at the waves, Quiet! Be still. And as he goes on in Mark's Gospel, he is the one with power over illness, over any violent evil, even over death. And even more wonderfully, our God is the one who promises a day when the sea, the sea here in verses 2 and 3 symbolising all the disorder in our creation, all that would be opposed to us and our God, there will be no more sea, we're told, at the end of Revelation. In fact, in that day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no time for sorrow or pain or death or disorder for the old order of things has passed away. Christians, see your God and do not fear though the earth give way and the seas roar against you because your God is supreme over all of that. He has been supreme from the very first moment of this earth and he will be right to the last. God is with us in the midst of a disordered creation which doesn't mean that if you are a believer as you wait for that final day your life will be spared disorder. You may lose your health But God is not your health refuge, he is your refuge. And nor is your health uh, your refuge either, he is your refuge. The psalm assumes troubles will come and some of them will not be small. Jesus indeed promises the same thing, in this world you will have trouble. But our song says we have no need to fear what's coming. Uh, We are to grieve it. Grieve the horrific intrusion into God's good order. We are to groan as all creation does. But our song says, Though all falls apart, we will not fear, for the God of creation and new creation is with us. Now here's the second verse of our song, verses 4 to 7. God is with us 
in the disorder of the nations. Have a look at verse 4. Such a change from the sort of the raging sort of sea of verses 2 and 3, all of a sudden, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. From the raging tumult of the sea in the earlier verses, this calm river. Or more literally, we're told it's a canal. What's happening here is all this power of the sea, all this seemingly uncontrollable power, God's power is so immense he can channel it into a a small channel for his purposes. If the waves of the sea stand for that which opposes his purposes, the streams of this river are now a symbol of how even in a world like ours, God's purposes are being fulfilled. All the way through the scriptures, wherever this river runs, life and blessings flow. In Genesis 1, we're told a river is there that sustains and brings life. And Hezekiah, who was king of Israel at the time that they were under this siege, of Sennacherib, his city was, uh, survived because of a tunnel that was built into the city that provided fresh water that kept them alive. That's probably what verse 4 is referring to. But behind that is a much bigger idea all the way through the scriptures of a river that God provides that brings life. You see it in Ezekiel 47 where the river flows, we're told, into the sea and whatever it touches comes to life. And finally, in the very last chapter of the scriptures, Revelation 22, where there is no sea, but there is a river, a river of life flowing through God's city. And so in these verses 4 to 7, we start to get a remarkable picture all around this sea roars, but now we're told what's really, what the sea really is, and that is these nations roaring, nations like Assyria. All around the city of God are waves of opposition. But we're told this, because God is there, the city will not fall. In amongst nations in uproar, amongst kingdoms that rise and fall, amongst the violence we do to each other as people, there is one safe place, the city of God. And because God is dwelling within her, she will not fall. Do you see see that wonderful phrase in verse 5, when it speaks of this city, why she is safe, it says, God will help her at the break of day. And God will help her at first light. It reminds me of uh, the quote from uh, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings where he says, uh, at dawn on the fifth day, look for my coming. Well, Tolkien stole the line from this psalm. It's a phrase that would have been familiar to the Old Testament people. It's the same phrase that uh, is there in Exodus 14 speaking of the waters of the Red Sea as they were parted. At just the right moment, God came to their aid. Just when all hope seemed lost. This is a song to remind the people besieged in Jerusalem uh, that now, as before, God's presence always means deliverance. That God is with us means he is with us to save us. And that's exactly what happened. If you read Isaiah 37, you read of the moment that the mighty Sennacherib came against this tiny little city and God said, I promise you I will take him like a bull and put a ring through his nose and drag him all the way back to Assyria. And that's what happened. God defends his city. However great the city of God was of Jerusalem, however secure, however much more that city uh, was uh, strong in, in amongst the, uh, against the opposition that it faced, how much more is the city that we are a part of? 
how much more the city God is building on the rock of his son Jesus Christ. A city that Jesus promises in Matthew 16 that will not be overcome even by the gates of hell. A city Hebrews 13 says will endure forever and cannot be shaken. A city known as the church. Those whom God has built into a city by the very blood of his son, how safe she is. God is within her. She will not fall. You see how remarkable this gathering is that you're a part of tonight, this small gathering in the city of Sheffield. God is with us. It doesn't matter who we have against us as the people of God. It doesn't matter what government is over us. It doesn't matter what persecutions may come our way or what media outlets may marginalise us or malign us. It doesn't matter what employers discriminate against us or what laws might constrain us or even convict us in time. All of those things are utterly irrelevant to the protection and prospering of this place, his church, because God is within her. And he's not some powerless presence here. Do you see verse 7? He is the Lord Almighty. He is a God of angel armies. And he's the God of Jacob. He's the God who made an unbreakable promise to Jacob all those years ago that there will come a day when all nations will bow before him. And he intends to keep that promise. Whatever comes against this city, she will not fall. And is not the history of the church lined with that very testimony? The the early church, for instance, as persecution peaked, it was at the point where they were scattered from Jerusalem, was the very point of exponential growth of the city of God, the church. You see it in China. The more the church is persecuted there, the more she grows. Uh, You see it in a church like St James Cape Town in uh, Kenilworth in Cape Town where uh, men came into the church one night intent on destroying the church with guns, only causing her to grow more as more people came to faith through that event. God is with us. She will not fall. But at this point we must, I think, take care not to make the same mistake the Israelites did regarding that promise taking verses 4 and 5 as an assurance that God will always protect the city of Jerusalem. That's what they thought. They came to understand that their security lay in the place of Jerusalem. No matter what they did, they'd be safe there. It was their safe house. But what they failed to do is to see verse 7 clearly. Have a look at verse 7. Is Jerusalem the fortress? No. It is God himself who is a fortress. The psalmist doesn't say uh, be confident in a place but in a person, in your God and in his presence. He is the one safe place, not Jerusalem. Move away from him and no matter where you are, you are not safe. Now, just this summer, uh, I said last week, uh, we as a family went to uh, Portugal and one of the, one of the great uh, opportunities I had there was to introduce Finn to uh, body surfing. He's only just sort of learned to swim. It was probably a bit early to be introducing him to full-on body surfing with big waves, but we thought we'd give it a go. And uh, he was introduced to dumpers, uh, waves that dump you. And uh, the, the joy of the moment was that my dad was with me and he was the one who introduced me to dumpers and what to do when a huge wave comes, how to be safe. And so he was the one who took Finn out and he said to him very clearly, Finn, if you stay with me, uh, you will be safe. If you wander, then whammo. And so there Finn was for the first few waves. He stayed with Par and uh, they dived under each wave, everything fine. 
And then Finn got a bit too big for his boots and thought he could, he could handle this and uh, then comes the dumper wave and bang, up pops Finn about a minute later, covered in sand, far from safe. There's a danger here, isn't there, to think that just because uh, we are a church in this place of Fullwood, to think that our protection and prosperity is in this place, perhaps this building or the people we have around us or our resources or our position in the city. No, move away from him and we are just like Finn with that wave. Bang. doesn't matter what we think we've got. And I suspect in uh, recent times our financial lack as a church has been good for us in many ways and one of them is this. Uh, we remember again that we don't stand or fall on our finances or on our people or on our position but on the God who is with us. Well, let's briefly look at the final verse of this song. God is with us for his exaltation, verses 8 to 11. I love this psalm. I love uh, this call to fearless faith in the face of whatever may come against us. And uh, here for me in these verses is what's so precious about God's word. He who speaks this word to us knows our hearts. He knows how easily the storms of disorder rob us of our confidence before him when our grief gives way to fear. Fear that perhaps this latest storm might actually pull us under. That perhaps God is not with us or if he is, he's not enough this time. You ever felt that? God is not enough for what you're going through? There are moments like that for most of us, I suspect. Are there not storms that uh, overwhelm us, that leave us feeling uh, he is not enough this time? I do admit to feeling that way for my friends uh, in Nashville who have just lost their twins. Uh, Those agonising days as we followed the progress with them in hospital after her waters broke at 20 weeks. Day after day, hoping against hope that they would just creep across the line far enough for life to be possible beyond the womb. As all their dreams, uh, the plans that they'd made for what they would do with their children uh, began to unravel. Days of utter powerlessness. Days of hoping, my friend Nathan said, that God would just show up and make it all better again. Days that suddenly ended at 3am with the start of contractions far too soon. By 2 o'clock that afternoon, little Lucy was born and she did not survive the labour. An hour later, little Jack arrived, their little boy, and he lived for 15 precious minutes, cuddled on his mum's chest before his tiny little heart gave way. What happens when the waves crash down like that? What are you meant to say to people like that? In the midst of that storm, what then? Is he still with us, this Lord Almighty this God of big promises, the God of Jacob. We hear the wise words shouted to our hearts near the end of this song, two commands. The first is this, verse 8, come and see, says God. Now this is crucial. If you hear nothing else tonight, hear this. We can skew, I think, the whole meaning of this song by missing this verse. We've seen the terrifying pictures of the disordered creation in the early verses 2 and 3 and the disorder among the nations, amongst us as people. And we've seen how that picture expresses perhaps sometimes our own experiences of this broken world. And we're left asking, is he really with us? Is he really mighty? 
If he was, then these things shouldn't happen, should they? Has he slipped off his throne? Well, verse 8, we are told to look closely at what's going on in all of this. Come and see, says God. See the works of the Lord, the desolations that he has brought on the earth. He says, I want you to see that all of this, absolutely all of it, whether it be the disorder in creation, whether it be the roaring of nations, even to the own storms in our own life, absolutely all of them are ordained by our God who is on his throne. The God who made it all, the God who in his wisdom and authority brings all things to pass in this earth. Nothing slips his authority. All things are obedient to his purposes. That's the world we live in. And though at times the most stable elements of his creation seem to be falling apart and at times we may have significant questions about the works of his hands that come our way, we must see clearly that he is the one who created all things, he is the one who holds it all together and he is the one governing this whole world and all of its events, even those of ten years ago today. We must see that but also see that he is the one, verse 9, the only one who in the midst of all of this mess and all of this chaos can actually bring about peace, who can still the storm at the sound of his voice. And whatever questions we might have, and there are some big ones, see that everything that wars against God's purposes will be stilled. The desolations that we see now are but a hint of the day that will come when he will still all storms. And finally, don't just consider the works from his hand, consider the person. Verse 10, and we'll finish with this. Be still and know that I am God. It's a a notoriously misunderstood verse. So often it's used as a, a sort of a prompt, an encouragement to take time as a Christian out of a busy day and just chill, meditate, think about God a little. But realize the context. The storm is raging all around as this command comes. All these things are buffeting us. Disordered creation, disordered nations, disordered lives. This is not the time for a casual lie down on a hammock to think happy thoughts. For my friend Nathan and Cass, grieving the loss of their babies, they need more from their God than an encouragement to relax. This is serious. The waves are crashing down and they are going under so their God, our God, shouts in the midst of the storm as he did in the storm in the Lake of Galilee. He says, be still. Literally, lay down your weapons. Stop thinking that you are God and in control of this moment or that I am not. Surrender. Be still. It's the same command that Jesus gives from the boat on that storm. Quiet, he says, be still. And let me say to those who this night stand opposed or apart from God in this world, be they nations or individuals, this verse is a jolt of reality. There is no point struggling or living opposed to God. It's true of nations, it's true of the sea, it's true of all of us. Once you know he is God, you know that you cannot prevail against him, so surrender. And of course the commander has a very different message for us, the people of God, as the storms rage and we with it out of fear that we'll go under this time. He shouts out to you, be still. Don't be afraid. Whatever buffets you, don't fear. Once you know that he is your God and he is almighty and he has promised to bless you and he is in control, 
you can know for sure that there is no evil so powerful that God cannot channel it for good to make his cause, his own exaltation and your blessing come to pass. And the ultimate demonstration, of course, of that is the evil of the crucifixion as all of this disordered creation raged against its God and they murdered the Son of God only to see him bring about the salvation of the world through it. And so finally, the command of verse 10 hinges on this, on the promise of a future victory. God says, I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God's sovereign power and promise does not mean that in this world, this side of that promise, uh, it will be perfect. We are still engulfed in disorder. The New Testament recognises that, but it shows us this vision of this place, this safe place, this city where all of that will end. when he will be with us and he will be our God and we his people, whether we no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order has finally once and for all passed away. Yet even then, it is still uh, true, even here as we wait, that God is with us. The God of salvation who was with Israel as they passed through the watery grave of the Red Sea, he who was with his son on the cross. As as Psalm 16 says, you will not abandon me to the grave nor let your Holy One see decay. Even now as we wait for that day, as we feel the disorder of this world all too personally, even as everything is stripped from us, absolutely everything, we do not fall. You see, what Jesus did in in that storm on the Lake of Galilee is just a foreshadowing of what he will do on that last day. As those who trust him, one after another, we will all do this, are baptised into the overwhelming floods of death. He will say to even death, quiet, be still. Just as he will on that day, the whole disordered creation and impose on it a calm, the calm of the new heavens and earth. And so while we wait for that day, we sing this song with courage. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Therefore,